You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Um, all right, so here we are with Tom Tran. I like the name of your podcast, The, the After, after Laugh. Yeah, I dig that. Well, the reason I did it because I thought it'd be really cool to get comics after sets, and I thought that I would get a lot of people who'd come off, literally come off stage from Laugh Factory, come over here, and be like, "Oh man, let me tell you about this person," the f- and and talk about the set. Right, right. But most people, I feel like when the, most comics when they're done with their sets, they kind of just want to not talk about it. You know, it depends. Sometimes, a lot of the times. Whether it's a good set or a bad set. Here I think, here's the thing. I think if it's a good set or a bad set, I love to talk about it. If it's a mediocre, like, I, I played the hits. Yeah, I you played phoned hits. it in. You phoned it in, exactly. Um, those are like the, okay, well, and that's, those, those nights are nights where I usually have other stuff going on in my head. Yeah. Or I'm worried about something else or, or, you know, I've just done three sets in a row and I, I can't think about it. Uh, but the nights that are spectacular... Yeah. Or spectacularly bad. Yes. Those are the best fun to talk about. Well, I, I I saw your set tonight. I saw a lot of it, and and you were you were killing. I thought you were killing. I was also a little drunk. Not gonna lie. You were a little drunk. A little drunk. Do you usually get a little drunk nope. before you perform? I don't drink typically. So why tonight? Did I you? don't know. You don't know. You're <laughs> like fuck it. I just it's you know, something it, going on back home. Tommy, a, you want to talk about? It was a very weird day. Only and it was a it was a good day because my days are usually very very full. Yeah. But today was I woke up. Went to the gym, burned off some Thanksgiving turkey, uh-huh. kissed my wife, did some dishes. She's been gone all day. Yeah. I watched seven episodes of Stargate SG-1, just hung out with my cats, ate leftovers, took a nap at 9.30, <laughs> woke up and came here and I was just like, uh, this is you great. know what? I don't drink. Let's fucking have a drink yeah, tonight. Yeah, why not? Yeah, and it was... Uh, you don't drink, not like you're sober, don't drink, but you just rarely drink. It's... It, I had a I had a severe drinking problem when I came home from Iraq. Okay, yeah. So uh, okay, well, let, let, let's 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 get to the, the the I was on vacation in Iraq. Let's let's <laughs> yeah let's let's backtrack from it. So so Tom Tran, like what I know about you, uh, you have a great voice because you are in the radio. Hi. But you are also a war veteran, which is also one of the things that's most fascinating about you. That you talk about it in your stand-up, but I'd like to hear more about sort of how that started. You were, obviously, you came out of high school. You went right into the military? I went right into the Army. Um, actually enlisted right after I turned 18. I tried to enlist before I turned 18. Yeah. But you have to have your parents' permission to do that, and my mom oh. was not having it. Sure. My dad was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Holy shit. So she was like, no, I'm not doing this. And it was literally like two or three weeks before I turned 18, and my recruiter was like, just fucking come back when you turn 18. <laughs> come back. And, and your mom doesn't have to be a part of this. So I did. So what did you do um, in the interim? Did you like have a job to keep your mom happy and then go? I mean, I was still in high school. I was a senior so, in high school. So what made you, because my dad was military too. He was in the Navy. And um, he wanted me to, I actually was in ROTC for college for one year. I did the one and run where they pay for your first year. Mm-hmm. And then if you drop after your first year, you don't have, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll cover it. Right, but if you drive your second year, you have to pay back both years. Right, right. So um, I knew I didn't want to do the military, mm-hmm. even though my I knew my dad wanted me to. But it sounds like something you really wanted to do. Nope, I didn't. So you're 18. Were I'm, you a shitty I'm, student? No, I was. Uh, I was a mediocre student. 
Um, but as an Asian, that makes me a shitty student. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you say that on stage. That's I great. Don't. That's actually the first time I've ever said it. My dad was a prisoner of war. He escaped. I recently found out my dad was in a prisoner of war camp twice before we came to the United States. I thought it was just once. I prefer the guys who don't get captured. Yeah. Okay. Well, so he's a prisoner uh, of war twice. Does he talk to, to you about it? Here, the thing was, when we came to the United States in 1980, I was a year old. My dad talked ad nauseum about it. And as a kid... In the 80s, growing up an immigrant in Buffalo, New York. I didn't wow, want you moved to Buffalo. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to hear about Wait, it. Wait, from where to Buffalo? From, from Vietnam. From Vietnam to, to Buffalo. Buffalo. That yeah. seems like a weird move. Well, the, the reason was it, uh, there was a Catholic parish in Buffalo, New York. And at the time, it was like the time of the Marianas Boatlift, which was like the big Cuban refugee uh-huh. uh, immigration to the United States. It's so about the same time. There's a Catholic parish in Buffalo, New York, who wanted to sponsor a family with a lot of kids to bring them to the oh. United States. So it wasn't a like, we're going to pick fucking Buffalo because we like chicken wings and <laughs> shitty football teams. It was there's a, a church with a group of families. That could, and, and your dad found out about this how? They found out about us. There was, I'm sure it was like some UNICEF, some Before the internet, like I don't know how things works. Nope. I don't, um, I found a phone book the other day. I was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, but I don't, uh, but it was like, we were in a refugee camp in Thailand after we escaped from Vietnam. Yeah. I was a few months old and there was some organization that asked, you know, they wanted to sponsor a family, bring them to the United okay. States. And we were the family that they sponsored. So went to Buffalo and, um, I was first generation Vietnamese, no other Asian kids in the city that, as far as I knew, I grew up Catholic, uh, around a bunch of white kids. Uh, and you were how, how old? I was a year old when I came to the United old. States. A year old, okay, yeah. So I, I grew up an American, but it was split between these two worlds of, like, my parents were Vietnamese immigrants. My dad was a war veteran and a prisoner of war. I'm growing up in a Polish neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, with no kids that look like me. Yeah. And... Uh, it felt like I wanted, and in hindsight, this was a bad idea on my part, but I was a kid, so I didn't know any fucking better. I tried to separate myself from everything that my family was, the, the, the Vietnamese part of me. I tried to, like, I didn't want to hear about my dad's war stories, none of that. Yeah. And I did that until I was 17 or 18 years old. I played in a rock band. Like, I had long hair. You were super American. Fucking played 80s shred metal. Like, And when you go home, was it like fish in a, in a rice bowl that you... Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was very, very much like that. family, yeah. Um, and I would, you know, I'd go to my white friend's house and have, like, regular American food. But that I grew up, like, split between these two worlds. Um, but I turned 18, and I realized I wasn't going to be Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. And something clicked inside of me, and I realized... I'm 18 years old. My dad was a prisoner of war. My uncle was killed in the war. My grandfather was killed in the war. And I realized like all these people had sacrificed their lives for my family to have the opportunity to come to the United States. And I was like, this is the first, first adult decision I'm going yeah, to make. When did this, how did this decision come to you? Was it something happened where you're like, holy shit, like Atlanta, you like a ton of bricks? Or was it like I, a slow realization? I was... I think it was a slow realization. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm clearly not going to be like, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. Sure. That's legit. I mean, I have seven Eddie Van Halen guitars right now. Yeah. Uh, I still play in a rock band, but yeah. I, it, something clicked and I was like, oh, my dad gave up a lot for us to have this opportunity. And there was a, a strong lineage of military service in my family. And my brother was enjoying the military. I remember my dad dragging my brother to the Navy recruiter. And my brother's 10 years older than me. So I was like seven or eight when he did this. There was a Navy recruiter across the street from uh, where, where my dad worked. He literally dragged my brother over there. And the Navy recruiter's like, 
you know, he, you can't make him join the Navy if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of fell on me as the next generation of tran boys yeah. to, to have mil- to be in the military. And how many, how many were in your family again? How many there kids? are, there are four kids technically. And, and where did you land in the, I am the third of four. Third. Of, and, and yeah. your older, the older brothers didn't, he was, so my, when my older brother came to the United, when my family came to the United States, my older brother was 10. Yeah. So he was. He's gone through adolescence, almost a teenager at this point. So he'd grown up in Vietnam. My older sister is nine at this point. Uh, I was one. And then my younger sister was born when we came to the United States. So it goes, uh, the two older kids are a year apart. And then the two younger kids are a year apart. Yeah. But the two younger kids are 10 years apart from the two older kids. Yeah, so there's a huge gap. Yeah. Because my dad was, you know, after my older sister was born, my dad was fucking fighting in the war. Yeah. In Vietnam. Um, so, you know, my brother was not having it and my older sister was she was the brains she's was the smartest kid in the family and she had scholarships and shit like that she was going to college and my brother had left he moved to boston i kind of grew up without an older brother and i had to make a lot of decisions on my own and kind of like learned the bad things and i learned the good things mostly bad things you know the drinking and the fucking playing in rock bands were you doing drugs or anything like that no no No. but there was a lot of drinking yeah i mean it was it was weird because uh you know 1989 i'm 10 years old but i already lived the life of like a fucking 20 year old i was playing in rock bands yeah by the early 1990s yeah you know i'm like fucking 12 13 year old playing in rock bands wow so there's the drinking and there was the just of course being a fucking wanted to be a rock star yeah um and then there was always the the mandate of go to college go to college go to college yeah. but I also realized my parents weren't going to pay for that, and yeah. I was not smart enough to get scholarships. And when I realized I wasn't going to be a rock star, I was like, I got to do something. Yeah. Um, so I decided, look, the, if if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to I'm going to serve the country, and okay, and the, they're going to pay for college. College was an afterthought. It took sure. me eight years to finish college. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was busy fucking fighting wars, like yeah. constantly going to schools, so, deploying. Shit so like let's that. talk about it. So you 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 uh, enlisted at in what year was this? You enlisted nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. So at so. this point, what is um, what is the state of the American military? What what's the war going it's on? It's Clinton era army. There's no war. This in ninety seven. There's nothing nope, going on. There's no. Well, there were the beginnings of Al Qaeda. Um, uh, well, but we don't I, know about that. Most Americans don't most know Americans about, didn't know point, about yeah. it. Put it this way. Uh, I was in training at Fort Gordon, Georgia in 1998. We were in a movie. Starship Troopers. I'll remember. I'll never forget it. In the movie. And I remember it was Starship Troopers because I, I was a signal guy. Communications sergeant. Yeah. Com- communications. Um, I remember in the movie, there's this dude. He's got a big whip antenna. He's got like a backpack radio and a big whip antenna. Yeah, yeah. I remember him climbing up a mountain. And this bug comes down, picks him up, and fucking carries him away. And I stood up in the theater. I was like, that guy's a 31 uniform. <laughs> We're fucking 31 uniforms. Fucking 31 uniform just got carried away out of, from a bug. <laughs> and we watched the movie, and we come out. And this was before cell phones were a big thing. Yeah. And uh, our platoon leader runs up and goes... We just bombed Somalia. Holy shit. Like, while we were in the movie, Clinton fucking fired Hellfire rockets 
for some shit that just happened to Smiley. So like Black Hawk Down was six years earlier, yeah. 1991, um, six or seven years earlier. So there's the beginnings of terrorism, but it wasn't full blown Operation Iraqi Freedom. Like Gulf War was 92. So it was, you know, it wasn't quite the Cold War ended. Um, Al Qaeda. It was kind of in a way. It was sort of like a Pax Romana at that point. Yeah. In a way, it was, it was a weird. Essentially, peacetime army. Yeah. I mean, Bosnia was happening. Um, that wasn't a war so much as a police action. So when you when you entered, there was no real fear of, of peacetime army. Yeah. I joined a special operations unit, so at any given point, our our operational tempo was like, hey, guess what? You can go anywhere at yeah. any time. At any time. Like when I joined my unit, our area of operations was Europe. It was Germany. Yeah. I come back from training. They're like. Oh, hey, our AO is now CENTCOM, Central Command, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Afghanistan. Like, I was just gone for like six months <laughs> and like this fucking change from Europe to fucking CENTCOM. Yeah. But that and then was, there was the first World Trade Center bombing, which right. probably. Right, right. And then Around USS, the same time. USS Cole. Yep. Right. Yep. I was. So things are percolating at I this was point. A pri- was I a private when the coal happened? I think I was. Yeah, I was a private when the coal happened because uh, I had a friend who was living down in. Norfolk, Virginia, a girl, and um, some of her friends were on the call. So yeah, that was the beginnings of of what we now call the war on terror. Yeah. So but uh, essentially peacetime. Yeah. Peacetime because there's so no in declaration. So ninety nine seven nine eight. So things are kind of you're not you haven't seen any action until no. when? Um, I mean, Bosnia happened in ninety nine. There was this genocide going on that we kind of mostly to just down. sort of bombs like sort yeah, of yeah i mean it was bosnia it was, it was fucking did you go in as, as infantry for in that there. or uh no i mean the that operation was going on yeah that was okay, out yeah, of sight of our the preview of so our, you hadn't been AO. really deployed yet other nope. than just sort of no i mean from 97 until so 2002 i was training yeah. so during 2001 what was did everything just sort of change in that was the a mentality immediately yeah. i mean so describe that a little bit um I remember September 11th, 2001, I was, I'd left active duty. I'd gone home to, to be with my family, my, my mom and dad, because my older brothers and sisters, they all left, they moved away, go have careers and families and shit like that. So I, I'd left active duty. I went back to the reserves. Uh, there's a special operations unit in my hometown and I was going to college and I was in my apartment. I lived less than a mile from school and I remember rolling socks I was doing my laundry I mean, just hung up my literally yeah. just hung up my uniform was hanging on my door my roommate at the time was in my battalion we were in the same unit rolling socks and watching the news and I'm just kind of half hearing what's going on and the second plane hits and where were you at this point at Buffalo Buffalo okay, yeah second plane hits all of a sudden House phone rings, cell phone rings, pagers are buzzing. That's how fucking, yeah. <laughs> this is the, the time frame this was. And I was a communication sergeant, so I had Everything, all this yeah. shit. Every th- his phone's ringing. I'm like, shit, we got to get to work. Yeah. So I throw my uniform on, and I had class that morning. I drive over to the school. I run in, in uniform, and I was dating a girl that was in this class with me. And everybody had heard what was going on. And I run in and everybody looks at me and my teacher goes, go. And I just looked at the girl I was dating. I'm like, I'm sorry. 
and I fucking rent. I went the battalion. Yeah. Just stood there waiting on orders. Yeah. And uh, our op tempo, our operation tempo, just was fucking nonstop from that point on. Yeah. To this day, uh, that the unit still just fucking running ops all the time. So, so from there, so ha- what happened there? Did they deploy you right away? Did uh, you go? No. What? Uh, two thousand one. I wound up going to Egypt in October. No, wait, September. I went to Egypt shortly after September 11th for what was uh, an annual multinational training operation called Operation Bright Star. U.S., Germany, England, all of them. Um, But it was not lost on any of us that were like, hey, we're in Egypt. Yeah. And we just got attacked by people in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's a hop, skip, and a jump from here. Absolutely, yeah. So in my head during this operation, I'm like, oh, we're just going to go from here. This yeah, is just a course. fucking training operation. Yeah. Quote, unquote, training operation. And we're just going to get on a plane and fucking go over there. And I remember being in the ops center in Egypt. And CNN has the night, night vision footage of rangers jumping out of planes in Afghanistan. I'm looking around the office, and everyone's got a ranger tab on. I'm like... Hey guys, <laughs> it's inevitable at this point. Yeah, like yeah. we are in fucking Egypt, and like seventy fifth Ranger Battalion or seventy fifth Ranger Regiment is jumping in Afghanistan. Yeah. Lo and behold, we don't go. Not from there. Uh, we finish the training operation. We fly back to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and this is the craziest thing, man. I fucking we land as early as fucking. It's like two, three o'clock in the morning. It's dark. We're getting off a plane. And as we're walking into the terminal, there's this captain with a clipboard. Like, we're walking by. He go, he's, he's pointing. He's like, you, go over there. You, go over there. You, go over there. And he's sending dudes right back onto a plane to fly right the fuck back to the same general area of operations yeah. that they just came from. I was not one of them. I was going home to ramp up for what wound up being Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. So... Afghanistan happened, and I and they they're already ramping up for Iraq. Yeah, I mean, we, that was October two thousand one. We were in in Egypt. Yeah, and you know, and I got sent back home to start fucking working on Iraq, so not you, knowing that it was like I'd had no idea. You had no idea that you were going to Iraq. Yeah, you see, you're. I just up know for that I come back from Egypt, and dudes are getting sent back to the Middle East. And I'm getting sent home, back to my home station, yeah. and then eventually down to Fort Bragg, which is where I was headquartered out of. Not knowing. I mean, I was a staff sergeant. I was a mid-grade non-commissioned officer. Nobody told me shit other than yeah. shoot here and shoot yeah. there. Um, so I had no idea until like a year later, which is when we wound up deploying to Iraq. But yeah, it was... It's been nonstop and operational tempo from then. So when you went to, now, I don't know how you feel about, wh- what are your thoughts about the Iraqi war and being part of Iraqi freedom? Because obviously there's a time where it was a, I'm sure it was probably a point of great pride for you to be involved with it. Now, no. it was no. never, it was never, no. did you always feel it was a bullshit operation? Yes, we all did. Everybody did. I, but know, I, as soldiers, it wasn't my job yeah. to say, hey, this is a bullshit operation. I could say it. I could say it to other sergeants. Yeah. I couldn't say it to privates. I couldn't say it to my junior enlisted soldiers because if my if my E1s through E4s are going, hey, Sergeant Tran thinks this is bullshit. Well, now they're not going to do their job. Yeah, it's going to so discord I'm, everywhere. Yeah. I could bitch 
up the chain to a point because there were, you know, there are people in my higher headquarters like this is a bullshit operation. Yeah. But as a leader, as a non-commissioned officer, wasn't and it it goes back to that whole you know, I was just doing my job thing. Yeah. But I was doing my job. Of course. I was never given an illegal order because as soldiers it is our it is our responsibility if we're ever given an illegal order to go, hold up, sir. I was never given an illegal order. Yeah. Every order I was given was lawful. Yeah. If 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 it were ever ever in a situation where someone was like Shoot that kid. I'm like, hold on. Yeah, of course. That's clearly not what we're here to do. Yeah. Um, but it was not my job to question it. Ours was to do and die, not to question why. Yeah. And part of that was survival. Of I'm course. like, I wasn't a conscientious uh, objector. objector. Yeah. I was a fucking soldier. You're a soldier, yeah. And you didn't think at the time where, in, where you weren't like, Oh, we're invading a completely unrelated sovereign nation no, for no, no reason. I that. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, a you lot must have of thought. Us did. Well, they were, you must have tricked yourself thinking they were implicated in it somehow. Listen, we got and also Saddam Hussein was an awful person, so that must have been yes. easier. I mean, and it was when when we would roll into a city and it's 110 degrees and kids are running out without shoes, yeah. begging for food. And we see entire towns that are ravaged by the Sunni Muslims, yeah. as they had been for 20 to 30 years. It was not hard for us to go, we're doing the right thing. Yeah, for sure. Not above maybe this current situation when we're rolling into the city and there are people who are starving and don't have water and don't have yeah. power. And there are kids who are literally running out into the hot sand with no shoes. Then you just want to help. Yeah, of course. Um but above and beyond that, sometimes you couldn't think past that day or even just that mission to do the job and get your soldiers back back to the yeah. op center to g get some sleep. Yeah. You know? Um, I was an E6. I wasn't going to fucking question of course. the colonel in any legitimate way. When, when I went to USO in 2007 as part of a tour, a comedy tour with Jim Kennedy and, and Paul Wall, of all people. and uh, The guy with the grills? Yeah. <laughs> and then we're Jamie Kennedy, Paul Wall, me, and Stu Stone, and we went to uh, Af uh, Iraq and Kuwait and Afghanistan, and and no, and we were like, we can't talk about like at that point, two thousand seven, as as American citizen, we kind of like, okay, we know it's kind of bullshit, and mm -hmm. the war was kind of misguided, and maybe it was a neoconservative plot to get oil money, whatever it is, but um, we were like these soldiers. They don't think that. They think that what they're doing is forgotten country, blah, blah. But when I talk, when we talked to them, we found out, oh, they all think it's bullshit, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a big realization. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. That, that they So, now... But as soldiers... As, of course. Especially when you're a fucking 19-year-old private who's yeah. only giving enough, given enough information to get through the next day. Yeah. You, <laughs> so, you went, so you went, you went to Iraq. You were deployed in Iraq. And where were you in Iraq? You were in, in Baghdad? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I sound like an idiot. <laughs> no, no, I laugh because um, I, I, my first city that I operated in was a city called Anasaria, which is where I got shot, where, where I wound up uh, getting injured. And then I bounced around, I went up to uh, Hala, uh, I went up to Basra, I went up to... After you were shot. You want you bounced around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds a very casual I, thing for I someone was, who got shot in the head. I was right? back on. Yeah, I was back on duty the next day. Okay, so let's talk about that because no one 
listening to this podcast and no one who will ever probably do this podcast has probably ever been shot at, much less actually been hit. So what was that experience? I mean, I don't know if this is going to like spark some PTSD for you, but what was it? Dude, I talk about it on stage. You talk about it on stage. I have to. What was the experience like? I mean, what? give me, give me, give me some foreplay so I can start jerking off. All right. So it was, uh, my fourth day. We crossed the border on a Sunday. We get, we get into Iraq. That Thursday, we had set up shop in this air base called Talil Air Base, which is just south of a city called Anasaria. Do you know who Jessica Lynch was? Do you remember Jessica yeah, Lynch? Yeah, of course. The, the, the female soldier that was taken POW and then subsequently rescued by a, a special operations team. We had taken the air base just south of that city, about 12 clicks uh, south of it, 12 kilometers south of it. These, she was rescued on April 1st, 2003. The special operations team that was there was turning over the area of operations, the team we were working with. So they were showing us around the city. A reconnaissance mission, nothing crazy. Yeah. The war had, or, you know, com- major combat operations, quote unquote, were stopped. Yes. Where things were the under control. accomplished that Bush had done had already Well, that happened. was months later. Oh, months but, later. like, within days, a week, maybe, uh, news reports that we were seeing were like, oh, yeah, everything's under control. Cities are, you know, they're being occupied by the Marines or whoever. Not, not the case. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting this city turned over to us, and we basically drive into a firefight. It's, Jesus. And uh, long story short, I get shot. Back of the head. You were in a Humvee. In a Humvee. I was in yeah. a Humvee. We were just being driven around. It was a con- convoy with a couple of gun trucks, a couple of other vehicles, and... We get caught in this gunfight. The Marines were already engaged in a firefight. We roll into it. Jesus. And I take a 7.62 to the back of the head. And you... That's the you're, short. You're out. You wake up. Nope. I bandaged my head. Have you not seen the video? I have not seen this video. <laughs> a video. Um, uh, I, I, I start cursing a little bit because uh, I'm bleeding. And where are you... Is it like, is it like in your skull? It uh, took a little chunk of my scalp out. It went through the door it went through my hat and then took a chunk of my scalp and then went out the door so i actually have the hat with the entrance ho- hole Jeez. and the exit hole from the bullet it's still in my closet at home which my wife hates <laughs> so i didn't initially realize that i had been shot i i knew something had hit me i thought somebody had hit some shrapnel or something ricocheted and yeah. maybe a piece of a building or something i didn't even know that i was wounded until <laughs> I put my helmet on after. Yeah. Um, and then I felt this, I'll never forget, this warm, wet feeling on the back of my neck. And I reached back and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm bleeding. Ugh. So I bandaged my own head. Uh, the major that was with me was like, hey, maybe I should drive now. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should fucking drive because I'm bleeding from my Oh, skull. you were driving? I was driving. Okay. And uh, so we finished that mission and then do another mission and then go back to the hospital to get me checked out. And they... And you get there, they were like, what the fuck? Like, so here's a story it? I never get to tell on stage because it, it takes it. too long. Um, so we, I get shot. We start heading back to the base. We start heading back to the airfield. And we get this call over the radio. They're like, hey, some shit's going down in the mayor's office. Can you guys, like, fucking fix this situation? I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with a, a team from 5th Special Forces Group. So they're like, hey, Tran, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Rich, I'm, I'm fine. Jesus Christ. So they're like, all right, we got to go do this thing. 
So we go over to the mayor's office. There's this fucking mob of people about to overrun the mayor's office. And uh, uh, the ODA captain, um, Rich, goes, hey, stay here. Watch the truck. I'm like, yeah, Rich, that's probably a good idea if I don't go fucking kicking down doors. Because <laughs> I'm bleeding from my head. So I'm just standing there watching the vehicles while they do whatever the fuck they do. And then we get back in the truck and we start rolling back to the base. And we call up. <laughs> now I'm the I'm the combo guy. I'm the I'm the communication sergeant. So yeah. I call up on the radio, and I'm like, "Hey, um, we're coming back, but we gotta stop at the hospital because I sort of got shot." And my operations center's like, "What do you mean you sort of got shot?" I'm like, "Well, I fuck, I got fucking shot." And then the we're far enough out that the transmission starts breaking up. It's one of the reasons I was I was out is trying to figure out where to set up retrans, and that's technical shit. Anyway, so the radio starts breaking out. And the retransmission center at the hospital rings up and goes, hey, we can hear you and we can hear your base. You tell us what's going on. We'll relay it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got I, I got shot. And the guy's like, yeah, I heard that part. <laughs> Where did you get shot? And I went, uh, this is going to sound way worse than it is. <laughs> I got shot in the head. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, when are you going to be Are you in shock at this point? I am so full of adrenaline. adrenaline yeah. And it's... Just combat training, yeah. muscle memory kicking in, combat lifesaver training kicking in. Like, I bandaged my own head. Yeah. And I'm just, first, it was literally my first mission outside the wire. <laughs> like, I, up until that point, we were just going up to the base, digging foxholes, yeah. setting up defensive positions. My first mission out, I get shot. Wow. So I'm amped up on fucking adrenaline and hatred at this yeah. point. So. We call back, and the guy's like, "When are you, when are you gonna be? When are you gonna get to the the cash, the combat hospital?" I'm a fucking comedian. Even then, I wasn't a professional comedian by any means, but I was like, "Yeah." So I heard the guys from one two six got some donuts brought up from from Kuwait. So we're gonna stop. And he's like, "No, get here right now." I was like, "Yeah, man, fucking relax. We will be there like as soon as we get there." So all they hear is this soft team, special operations forces. The soft team goes out. Sergeant gets shot in the head. That's all they hear. So we roll into the hospital. My major is standing outside with his arms crossed, just shaking his head. He's like, God damn it, Tran. And I just I start waving at him like a kid on a short bus. I'm like, hey, Joe, yeah. we're back. So the, the hospital staff, all they heard was this team got out, went out and sergeant got shot in the head. So they are expecting a fucking JFK situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come out with stretchers and fucking IVs. And the colonel is in charge of the hospital goes, where's the guy that got shot? I'm like, hey, sir, hang on one second. Pete, Steve, come here. Let's take a picture. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Two of my SF buddies. <laughs> so there's a picture of me with a bandage on my head, just big, stupid grin next to a couple of SF buddies at the hospital. Yeah. And the whole staff is out there with IVs and stretchers like a scene out of fucking like, what ER. What the fuck is going on? They're like, uh, is that the dude who got shot in the head? Yeah. My colonel's, yeah. Yeah, Sergeant Tran. Has the, has the bleeding stopped? No. No. Because there's a so lot the, of blood vessels. So the just red it's almost. sopped in blood. It's just sopped <laughs> in blood. Um, and they're like, is he okay? And my colonel's like, yeah, it's not the first time we've taken him to the hospital for getting shot. And the, 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 the colonel at the hospital's like, what? <laughs> and my captain goes, yeah, I used to date a lot of black chicks. So oh, God. This, I'm like, all right, we're all, we all got jokes. No, yeah, we, we all got, got jokes. It was a comic. So they... They took me in. They gave me a tetanus shot. They put four staples in my head. They kept me for a few hours with some IVs to put some fluids in me. And then I went back to my operations center. And I was yeah. like, 
hey, when are we when are we gonna do this again? When yeah. are we gonna cause and I didn't realize it until years later, but had I not had I not done that, had I not just, as we said, rangered up. Yeah. I probably would have fucking freaked the fuck out. Yeah. And that was day four. Yeah. And I had soldiers who were 18, 19 years old who literally just came out of training. And two weeks later, they're in a combat zone. Yeah. And my thought as a non-commissioned officer was, if Sergeant Tran freaks out, these fucking kids have no hope. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to fucking drink water, rub some dirt on it, ranger the fuck up, and we are going to get through this. Yeah. At some point, the pain must have started coming in pretty I mean strong. it was it was it was okay fucking, you were, yeah. you were put your helmet on I mean I stubbed my toe at the gym this morning that that has the worst pain that well I that is remember. pretty fucking bad uh, there's a dude with n- one leg at the gym this morning I'm like I am a pussy <laughs> like, this guy has legit one leg <laughs> I stubbed my toe and I wanted to go home he doesn't know what it feels like to stub a toe with one um, leg. yeah because he didn't have one <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean I didn't I didn't let it bother me because I couldn't like yeah, some, some something in my subconscious was like, don't be, and it's part of being a soldier. It's like, don't be a pussy. Of course. Don't be a pussy. You're fucking in a war zone. You got privates looking up to you. And I was a fucking 24, 25 year old staff sergeant. And yeah. I was like, I got kids who are literally like, Hey man, if you if you leave, they weren't saying it, but I'm like, I can't, I can't fucking pussy out and go back a week into the war, you know? Yeah. Because then they wouldn't have a leader. They, they'd they have other sergeants, but they, you know, if I, if Sergeant Tran fucking disappears week one. Uh, so I stayed. I stayed my entire 12-month deployment. And then uh, December 19th, 2003, my roommate was killed in an improvised explosive device Jesus. Uh, attack. And it was two weeks, two weeks before we were supposed to come back to the United States. Made it the entire war without losing anyone and then and then chuck was killed oh boy and uh i came home and that's when everything went downhill that's when everything just what do you mean i mean i didn't have a war to fight anymore so you felt useless you felt kind of like you didn't have a purpose yeah i I didn't have a mission yeah i've said it in in interviews before i'm like the worst thing to be is a soldier without a mission yeah for sure for a decade i had a job i had a mission i had a thing to do and now I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I was medically separated and I, I, I finished college at that point. And I was like, I, my friends were still downrange. And you were, were you married at this point? What was the, no, no, no. no, no. I was just ruining relationships up and down the East coast. How <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have kids. I don't know. So just, now when you, you got back, so you got back from the war 2004, 2004, yeah, 2004. And you were a man without a mission and you were like. I finished college. Finished college, and you're like, "What the fuck am I gonna do?" Yeah, I, I. That's when the so depression went, w- and the alcoholism set uh-huh. in. And, and what were you doing while you were? What, did you have a job? Were you just? Yeah, sort of, I mean, I worked in radio. Yeah, uh, I so worked you always in had radio. a good voice, and you knew yeah. that, and that was something you could. Well, do. I went. I joined the army to be a communication sergeant because I was working in radio. Like I okay. wanted to be Robin Williams from Good, good Morning, Morning Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to be Adrian Cronhauer, yeah. and then when I when I joined the army, that's what I wanted to do. Did you get to do any radio in, in the right, army? So listen, this is my recruiter, this tricky motherfucker. Um, he did not technically lie to me. <laughs> he said, uh, that job is not available because it wasn't that it, it's a job that exists, but there's only so many slots available yeah. at any given time. And when I was enlisting, there currently were no slots available. And he said, but I have a radio job for you. Mm-hmm. 
in a special operations unit. And I'm like, ooh, what is that? It's like, ah, oh, you jump out of planes, blow shit up. So in my head, I'm jumping out of planes, playing Hell's Bells from ACDC on the way down, <laughs> about to fuck some motherfuckers up. Not the case. That's definitely, that definitely not what I did. Yeah. But I wound up falling in love with it. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was always wanted to be a radio guy. I was doing radio when I was in high school. I had a, a job in radio. Once I left active duty, I went home, did the reserves, and I was working in radio. I went to school for broadcasting. I work in radio now here in yeah. L.A. Um, but when I came home, and it all kind of it all kind of hit me. Uh, and I've said it before in interviews. Like I, I got home from Iraq on like a Thursday. I got back to Fort Bragg processed out and by monday i was back in college doing 24 credit hours to graduate just because at that point i'd been in college for yeah. eight years yeah yeah like and as long as i was in the army was, I was, yeah the degree was, was communications yeah and I, I was just like i was like i just gotta fucking get out of this i needed something else to occupy my mind of course, once i got yeah. back from iraq and then i graduated that may and at my graduation party we were at my then i think my fiance's house um and and everybody was like having laughing having a good time and i was in the back in tears just fucking uncontrollably in tears because i was no longer a soldier i was no longer a student i did not have a thing that i had to do i did not know what to do i, I didn't have a career anymore like i had planned on making the army 20 years sure and and all of a sudden it was gone like that and i and I was lost and I was broken. And that's when the drinking happened. And, and I mean, if you look at pictures from, of me in 2004, 2005, I was 200 plus pounds. Jesus. Um, there's a video I just found. Uh, and I put it on my phone as a reminder. I, I was in the national chicken wing eating contest. <laughs> hey, you were in Buffalo, Buffalo. So what the fuck? I came in fourth. <laughs> and it is a disturbing video to watch. It That's is awesome. It is fat Tom Tran shoving 68 chicken wings in his mouth in six, yeah, 68 chicken wings in 12 minutes. Yeah. It is That's incredible. Fucking disturbing to watch. <laughs> and I didn't have a thing to love i didn't yeah I, now yeah. why couldn't you get somehow affiliated back with the army why couldn't you make it a, a career in the army why was the, why was that cut off from you um i was medically separated because what does that mean i don't know what that uh, means because of the, the, the damage that was done like yeah. my and i talk about it on stage i have my short-term memory is fucking garbage yeah uh, because of the gunshot and it was a tactical situation i was no longer combat effective i was more of a uh. de detriment and uh, a possible hindrance to my soldiers and to myself. Like I and you couldn't. They wouldn't. You wouldn't want to do a desk job, or they wouldn't put you on. There's nothing you no, could do. Yeah. No. And yeah. I, I was told. Uh, I was told. I was back down at Fort Bragg. This is the thing that was recounted to me because I don't even fucking remember it happened. Yeah. I was back down at Fort Bragg, and this captain gave gave me an order. And I was like, yes, sir. And I fucking walked away and like got a burrito, completely <laughs> fucking forgot what he said. And then he was like up my ass about it. Yeah. And I was like, sir, I don't, I don't remember having this conversation. Oh, wow. And they're like, uh, another Sergeant who was there, he was like, yeah, man, go, go to the hospital. Like yeah. go see the doctor. And, um, that's when they're like, you're, you're no, you're no good. So they did like a, they did a cat scan or what, what's the thing that so they have got TBI, I've got traumatic brain injury, uh -huh. I've got fucking years of like my knees are fucked up from jumping out of airplanes and yeah. running so there was more physical damage 
done Got to it. me that yeah. you know, it made me combat ineffective. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like you're a fighter, like a UFC fighter who can no longer fight, and you're like, what the fuck do I yes. do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm just like Chuck Liddell, <laughs> just like who's fighting tomorrow Tito Ortiz. Yeah, <laughs> Tito was at the the Thanksgiving thing. I yesterday. heard that. Yeah. It was very nice. All right, so you uh, so you have no and you're I drinking. We were talking you're, about comedy. I know, I know. I don't want to go too much in the hard darkness. I don't want to make this a Mark Maron like. So tell me by the time you want to kill yourself. Um, there, there so, were those. But, so here you are. You're in this dark place. And how long did this last? How how long were you in this kind of space? Some would say until about 15 <laughs> minutes ago when I got off stage uh, during a mediocre set. <laughs> no, you were um, great. So what what got you into comedy then? I had a heart attack at the ripe old age of 26. Wow. I was uh, I was home. I was I was not in the army anymore. I was like about 200 something pounds. Your fourth place chicken wing in, yeah. in contest. To, to put it in perspective, I am five foot eight and about 155 pounds right now. Yeah, 250 is big for you. I was, yeah, I was over 200 because um, all I did was eat and drink. Like I was, And you were in Buffalo with your was, parents? Yeah, yeah. My, my mom and dad were there, but I was living like alone or with my what were they? What were they thinking during this time? What were they doing? <laughs> they were probably just like... My mom worried. didn't know what to do. My mom was never really happy about me joining the military. Yeah. Because of my dad. Yeah. Uh, and my dad, and I didn't even realize this until recently, I talked to my father. He's like, I knew what you were going through. He's like, he's a fucking prisoner of war. He knew yeah, exactly what I was going through. Yeah, it was severe PTSD. But he, he was like, I needed you to find your own thing. He's like, I couldn't tell you what to do. Yeah. He was like, you weren't going to listen to me. Yeah, of course. Um, my dad was like, he said to me recently, he was like, yeah. I knew something was wrong when you came home and I said something to you and you yelled at me. Because <laughs> I've never, like, I'm still afraid of my father of to course. this day. My father was a fucking prisoner of war. He whooped my ass. Yeah. I'm afraid of my father to this day. Yeah. But when I came home and I was in a real bad way, I, he said something to me and I yelled back at him and he was like, I knew something was wrong. It was yeah. like, I, he, he helped me as much as he could. Yeah. But my dad was great about, you know, whatever I was going through, good, bad, or otherwise, he supported me. And he's like, I just need you to, to find your own way, wow. which he did. Um, and it probably took me a little longer. But my dad didn't really know what to do with me. Yeah. But, I mean, I I went to the hospital. So, so long story short, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, uh, sitting in my girlfriend's couch or something back home, and uh, I like I started my fucking arm started. Like, just getting numb and my chest started hurting. Now, granted, I'm 200 plus pounds at this yeah. point. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And my, luckily, my girlfriend at the time was a medical student. She was a dentist. Uh, She's going to medical school. And she lived down the street from the VA hospital. She takes my pulse and it is something insane. It's like fucking off the charts. Yeah. And she's like, we got to get you to the hospital right now. So we drive to the VA and the doctor's like, Hey man, when was the last time like you relaxed? I was like, I don't know, two thousand one before the fucking war started. He's <laughs> like, no, seriously. I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking being serious. I'm like, I've my unit's been on the go nonstop, fucking yeah. three and a half, four years now. So, um, that's. I remember he said, "You got to find something to love." Your doctor I, said that to you. That's yeah, interesting because I didn't. There was nothing that I enjoyed. Yeah, nothing in my life. That, I mean, I loved my girlfriend, but she was, I was fucking ruining relationships yeah, up and but down. but you're a man. You need a mission. You need a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I didn't enjoy life. Yeah. I didn't enjoy, I, I, I tried playing in a band again. 
Um, turns out I hate people, <laughs> so that wasn't happening. Um, and I, I needed to find a thing that I loved. And since I was a kid, I loved comedy. It's never a th- it was never a thought. Yeah, I love going, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Sure, that was never a thought. But I loved comedy. I loved laughing. Like the first stand-up comedy I ever saw was Eddie Murphy's Raw. Raw. Even before Delirious, I saw Raw when I was like seven. Because my parents are shitty parents. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Watch this black guy in a fucking purple suit yeah. talking about Ralph Cramden <laughs> getting <laughs> fucked in the ass. Um, so I love comedy. And, and I do a lot of shows for veterans. Like Veterans Day was three weeks ago. and Yeah. That's Whenever great. I talk to vets, I'm like, hey, man, co- combat destroys your soul. Whatever little bit of you gets gnawed away, like there's no drug, there's no medication, there's no amount of therapy that will fix it the way a good laugh does. Yeah, Comedy legitimately heals the soul. They, and they say it's the best medicine, and it sounds cliche, but it really is. Like, yeah. it is this thing that has healed my soul, and is this thing that I, I will laugh at this one dumb fucking joke that I heard in 1987 that I still fucking laugh. And what joke the, is it? It's the dumbest joke. <laughs> I love dumb the dumbest joke. Remember the Three Amigos? Yeah. Martin Short was talking to Chevy Chase. Martin Short goes, hey, you see that plane? It's a male plane. And Chevy Chase goes, yeah? He goes, yeah, how do you know? He goes, how? He goes, you can see it's balls. <laughs> it's the dumbest fucking joke in the world. I still laugh at that. Oh, yeah. And it's this, you know, if I can, if I can make some soldiers forget for an hour, hour and a half, how hard sure. this profession of arms is, how, how the shit that we go through as soldiers, if I, if they can just forget for an hour and laugh. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's. That is healing for me. I just sure. did a show in South Carolina, and this lady comes up to me, and she's like, hey, my husband and I are both Army vets, and he just retired after 21 years in the Rangers, and he has not laughed in six months. She's like, our marriage has been on the rocks. Yeah. She's like, you just made him laugh for an hour. And when he came to talk to me afterwards, I would have had no idea that that was going on, but she was like, you, of you just helped him enjoy life for the first time since he left yeah uh, since he got out of the army and that's what comedy has done for me since i left the army yeah so to to tour overseas like like me and the gis of comedy have or even to just go to south carolina or you know i was in portland doing a gig for veterans day to do that for a room full of soldiers or veterans just for an hour man it's healing it's, of course, and, and as much as it heals them, it heals me of to course. know that I'm I'm still a non commissioned officer at heart. My my job was to take care of soldiers, and I can't do it by kicking down doors anymore. Yeah, I do it with a microphone. Maybe I didn't do it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> there were no soldiers. There's a bunch of stone. There was Armenians. one soldier in there. A guy came oh, in really? uh, from Fort Riley. He was in town uh, well, visiting family. Well, I want so so obviously that's that's amazing what you do. We can talk about that. I know I know you have to go in a bit. But, no, no, um, I don't. I'm just uh, my my watch is telling me I have to stand up. Um, oh wow, interesting. I love people who have things that they have to do. <laughs> <laughs> like people who are aware of their health and shit and time. Anyway, um, 
so, but obviously when you started getting into comedy, that wasn't your thing. Like I want to heal myself and soldiers. It was just like a desire to get on stage in the beginning. Right. Like what was the thing that first, cause you, cause you kind of jumped from the heart attack to this. So what, well, what the doctor was like, Hey, you got to find something to love. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, I tried music and I didn't like, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I didn't like, uh, working with people. Um, no, that, that's legitimate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, and it was, I mean, when, when you put so much time, effort, energy and money into a thing and then other people and you're, fuck you're dependent on all these. Yeah, yes. of course, dude. Of course. Um, so like I said, I, I always enjoyed comedy before the war. I'd actually done stand up once oh. in, a, in a class for school and it was not, it was, it was not a thing that was supposed to happen. It was a, it was a voice and diction class because I went mm-hmm. to school for broadcasting and it, it was a class taught by a, a theater teacher named Jerry Trentham. And it was supposed to help you find your voice as a broadcaster. And that's essentially what the class was for. The final project was to take a scene from your favorite film or whatever and do it in your voice. So, like, my buddy Sean picked a scene from Boiler Room and he did that in his voice. And I said to Jerry, hey, I've always liked stand-up comedy. Can I, can I give it a shot? And he goes, all right, you got three months to write five minutes of material. And it took me two months and 29 days mm-hmm. to write five minutes of material. Yeah, for sure. And, and I did it. And um, I don't remember it going well. But my buddy Sean, who, who lived out here, um, we, yeah, I had him on my podcast, Sex, Yokes, and Rock and Roll, available on iTunes, Google, and Android. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you like that? Uh, he was like, yeah, it was really funny. Anyway, so I, I did it. Do you remember any jokes from that set? Oh, dude, I, I, you must remember I have first a notebook. Good joke. I used to write my sets verbatim. I can imagine. Yes. With I can tell that about the you. pauses, with the ums. <laughs> Take pause here. With the pause for wait for laughter, <laughs> and if there wasn't laughter, oh, it's fucked. Uh, I still have them all on. Yeah. I, I typed them. I still wow. have them on a file, and, I, and it's you did like a soldier. Dog shit. It was <laughs> terrible. I look back at it, and I'm like, ugh, I went on stage with this garbage. But I did that, and then two months later, I was in Iraq. Um, so after the band thing, after I came home, I was lucky enough. I was working in radio. A guy that I worked with on the morning show owned a comedy club back in New York. What and, club? Uh, Comics Cafe in, uh, in Buffalo. Oh, in, in Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. And one morning he was like, hey, I, I need somebody to host a radio station night. It was just like a promotional night. Yeah. It's like, I just need a DJ to show up, say, hey, tonight's brought to you by Labatt Blue, blah, blah, blah. Tip your bartenders, whatever. Here's your next comic. Right. Yeah. So I do that. Um, and then he starts feeding me jokes. Um, and it was, you know, the feeling you fucking tell a joke, people laugh. Now I'm a dude who's never done, like I did comedy once. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't even remember it at that point. Yeah. So I was like this, this, I like this feeling this, you know, it wasn't the drinking and it wasn't the, the, all the other shit that I was trying to fill the hole in my life. Mm -hmm. It was, I say words, people laugh. Yeah. Uh, and then I eventually started writing my own material, uh, garbage. And you're I, still working at the same place. I'm still working friends. at the radio station yeah. and it was kind of my downfall because I didn't come into comedy the way most comics that I've heard come into comedy. There was, you know, whether it's here or New York or Buffalo, there was a scene of comedians who were doing open mics and working on material. I was a fucking radio guy. Anytime I wanted to get on stage, 
they're like, oh, it's it's Tom from The Edge or it's Tom from 97 Rock. Yeah, just let him fucking go up. I didn't know how hard it was for comics to get time in a real club with real audiences and work on the craft. Yeah. Because I was fucking douchebag radio guy who was just like, yeah. hey, I want to fucking, I wrote a new joke and I come up and do five <laughs> minutes. And I'm like, yeah, the guy from the radio station. Yeah. So I that was a hard thing for me to learn when I came out here. And I meet all these people like, yeah, we've been doing stand-up together since 1991, starting oh, at, you know, these fucking open mics. I'm like, I didn't, I never went to open mics. Like, I've, I don't go to open mics. So, <laughs> like, yeah. I still don't go to open mics. Yeah. And um, what made you go to, come to L.A. from Buffalo? What was the moment where you're like, what was the moment where you're like, I'm going to be a stamp comic. Fuck it. I'm going to L.A. I, I was doing, I was doing the road a lot. Um, oh, you were doing the road. I, so I started in Buffalo and I was doing the road. Uh, quite a bit because uh, as a headliner, as oh a, god no, as a as feature, a, uh, opener sometimes feature. I would Did you feature. Connect if, yourself to any headliners that were kind of around. Yeah, I mean the, the these touring headliners would come through town, and I'd be You're like, hey, the host, bring me along. Yeah, um, actually, the first time I went on the road, the headliner at the club that weekend was like, hey, you're really funny. Do you want to open for me? Who was it? I Carol something. Okay, I can't remember. Um, Your first big break, you don't even fucking no, remember. No, no, Way no. to go. Way to go. Um, and, you know, the bullet, the bullet, the bullet. Yeah, um, but I was I was going on the road, and the reason I would feature something, and I was not prepared to feature. I definitely was not prepared to headline. But it was a, a bunch of those situations where it was like we get to the club and they're like, "Hey, the feature's in jail. So how much time do you have?" I'm like, uh, "I could probably squeeze out 25 minutes, you know." Yeah, yeah. And I had like fucking 10 solid yeah. that I'm just stretching out. But I was a radio guy, so I was used to talking. You could talk. I was yeah, exactly. Fucking used to crowd work and all that shit. So. I I was doing the road a lot, and eventually I stopped doing radio as much. And then I I went to New York City because New York's is fucking down the street. Yeah, uh, ish ish. It was a forty five minute flight from Buffalo, and uh, New York City was hard. <laughs> it's really. Do you fucking remember your first hard. club in New York City? Uh, no, because I couldn't get into any of them. Of course, um, yeah. it was a lot of like shitty bars down in Soho and on the on the Lower East Side, but like I. I have never done the cellar. Uh, well, who has? Right, yeah. Um, I think I did Caroline's once as a fluke. I did Broadway Comedy Club a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what year is this? Uh, this is fucking 2006? 2006? When, when there was a Times Square uh, Laugh Factory. Yes, yes. Yes. I didn't even know the yeah. Laugh Factory yeah. was a thing. Not a lot That's, of people did. Yeah. Um, so I was down in New York for a little while. I was flying back and forth from Buffalo. It was just, it was hard. I just, I couldn't. And then I moved, I came out to LA to visit a buddy of mine. And I was like, I'm going to see what the West Coast is like. And uh, I was out here for a week. And you knew you wanted to do comedy at this point. At this point, you're like, I want to find out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't know what the, the road was. Because again, I wasn't one of these, I wasn't in a clique. I wasn't in a group of comics. It was just... And there was so much disdain for me. Really? Because I was the douchey radio guy who got <laughs> spots whenever he wanted. And then I got good because of that. And yeah. then I was going on the road because of that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, there was a lot of like, fuck this guy. He does. When he, you came to LA, you felt that? No, no, no. This no, was okay. back in Buffalo. This got was back it, in Buffalo. Of when I came to LA, I was, again, a nobody. Yeah, no need. Um, but I came out here to visit and I, I went on Craigslist. To, to find spots to do. That's and so crazy. I didn't know you could do that. Yes. This was 2000. It had to be 2007. 
mid 2007. I come out here and I find an ad on Craigslist for a bringer show. And I don't know what bringer shows are because yeah. I've never done comedy out here. I'm only a road guy. I'm playing comedy clubs where it's built in audiences. Yeah. Uh, it's a opener feature headline. I don't know the LA comedy. Scene. I don't know what a bringer show is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anybody in LA. I know three dudes. Went to high school with one of them. The other two are his roommates that I just met. <laughs> so I find this ad on Craigslist, and they're like, hey, if you can get five or ten people to come, you can do a spot at the belly store at the comedy store, or belly room at the comedy store. Yep. And I'm like, that's the fight. It's a fucking comedy store. Comedy store. You know? So I, I tell my buddy, I'm like, hey, would you and your girlfriend and your buddies and your roommates come out? And uh, so we go over to the comedy store, and it was Noel Grobly. You know Noel? Mm-mm. Um, he, he used to run a room at the store. He's friends with, uh, uh, Ange, big Ange, mm. Angelo, uh, yeah. Greek comp. Yeah. Anyway, so he's running Zerukas? this room. Zerukas? Yeah. 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 So he's running this room and I hit him up. I'm like, Hey man, I'm a comic from New York, blah, blah, blah. Same shit. He's like, yeah, I just, you know, bring some people. I'm like, okay, I don't fucking know anybody, but I'll make it happen. So I go and I have this, what I'm about to tell you, Bill. Uh-huh. I have this on video, oh, God. and I've recently found it, and I may have posted it on my Facebook page. You better have. We've got to watch it before you leave. Um, at the comedy store, in the belly room upstairs, the room is packed. And I'm a New York comic. I'm a road comic at this point. Never been out here. Never done a set. Yeah. The guy that goes on before me is wearing a smoking jacket and an ascot. He finishes his set. Hand to God, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> he says, "Hey, everybody, if you liked my set, do me a favor. Give me a give me a big round of applause." And the room's papered with his friends. Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Just if you had fun, just clap for me." So he asked the audience to clap. He goes, thank you, good night. And he leaves. And I'm like, wait, is that what comedy is like in LA? <laughs> you ask for, you ask you for a plus. Your, you're set by asking. For, you don't tell a joke. You just end it by asking for applause. Yeah. And uh, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to fucking own this town. Yeah, yeah. So I go up and I murder. Murder. I, I, like, nobody knows who I am. Nobody's heard my name. Noel fucks up my name as he brings me up. Yeah. Um, and this is when I was going by like my whole, like I was going by Thomas Michael Tran for some reason, like my whole fucking name, he fucked it up, which is fine. It's fine. Um, I go up and I murder and I'm like, oh, if that's what I got to compete with. Yeah. Well, that didn't, I got to move here. Yeah. So that was my, that was the day I decided I was You're like, like I'm yep. going to go back to New York and pack up my shit and I'm moving out here. That one um, set. So like, I got to thank this. that fucking kid, whoever the fuck he was <laughs> for but tricking I, you to think the LA was that easy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, fuck that guy. But yeah, I was like, if that's what LA comedy's like. And he was an actor. He wasn't a comic. Yeah, for sure. He was an actor. He was there with his agent. He had brought, brought a bunch of his friends out. He wanted his agent or somebody to see that he could be funny. Yeah. But you st- but still, to get that type of a, to murder in the belly room anyway, without knowing people, is still right. a testament to how good and you were And I say murder time. like I knew what murder meant at the time. <laughs> yeah. I did better than him. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm sure you murdered. And, um, and the belly room is not the easiest room in, no. in LA and no, I was, at all. I mean, yeah, I was, I'd never been to the comedy store before. Yeah. It was legend in my mind. Of it was course, a fucking it unicorn. Yeah. I was the new kid that nobody, nobody knew my name. Yeah. The guys I was there with just met me the week earlier. Yeah. Like, I was staying at their house. They didn't even know my name. And... 
I got off stage that night and I was like, well, I have to move here. This yeah. is clearly what I got to do. So I went home, went back to New York, packed up, told my family I'm, I'm moving to LA. My dad, again, who has supported me in everything I've done as crazy as it has ever been. He's like, all right, peace. Wow. <laughs> he's like, here's a few hundred bucks, probably more than that. He's like, here, take some money and go. And I had my retirement from the army, my medical yeah. uh, disability from the army. I was like, uh, I'll come out. I'd quit radio. I wasn't working in radio anymore. I was like, I'm going to come out and I'm going to make a living doing stand-up in L.A. Nobody fucking told me you can't make a living doing stand-up <laughs> in L.A. Nobody told me that. I've been here 10 years. You know when I started getting paid? Three weeks ago. No, Shut up. <laughs> um, I, for years, I was doing spots at clubs. and What clubs were you mostly doing spots at? Ha ha. And ha-ha. like... Uh, occasionally yeah. I do, you know, the Ontario Improv. And you ha ha, and then you have to like, hey Jack, and- I get paid for the spot, right? And he's like, hold on. He goes to the office, makes you wait an hour, and he comes back with twenty dollars. Okay, moving on. Eddie. So, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I got a check from the Laugh Factory, a, like a legit check. Yeah, what was your first spot at the Laugh Factory? Um, now how you? Here's here's yeah. okay. So yeah, it's always interesting to me. So um. My name was on the billboard at the Laugh Factory next next to Tim Allen's years before I got passed. Years before. Because I, I came out, the first two years I was out here, when I realized you can't pay your bills doing just stand-up. Because yeah. again, I was a road comic. And yeah. I got paid yeah, road decent pays. money to to do comedy. Which you cannot do in Los Angeles unless you were doing nine spots a night. Uh, at legitimate clubs. So I came out, I'm, I I was working as a military consultant on TV shows and movies. Oh, cool. Landed a bunch of movies, landed a bunch of TV commercials, did a couple TV shows. Uh, I, wor- I worked on a couple of video games for Activision. So I was making fucking shitloads of money, yeah. but not doing stand-up. Because yeah. now my time is being invested in going to auditions and all this other bullshit that I didn't really want to do, but I had yeah. to, to make a living. Um, and then at some point I had to go back to working in radio because acting was not working out. Um, I mean, I've been out here 10 years. I just got my first co-star role this year and then two subsequently, like within months. Well, that's good. But I, I went back to working in radio and, uh, K Earth 101 was doing this. They were trying to do a TV show with Jamie. Uh, like a comedy boot camp where they mm. were trying to get vets to to come learn how to do stand-up comedy. So they, they did a fundraiser down in Long Beach for the Bob Hope USO, which yes. they still do every year. Which I'm banned from. Very cool. Oh, super. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was working in radio. I was working on and off-ish with K-Earth 101, and I heard about this. Somebody was like, hey, they're doing this veterans thing. And I think the idea was they get a bunch of veterans who want to try stand-up comedy, and they're going to they're gonna do this fundraiser, right? Yeah. I come out here. I, I asked to do it, and I am already a road comic. Uh, even when I moved out here, I was going out on the road to do it. So I was unknown, but I was a professional. But you had experience, yes. So I do that benefit fundraiser thing. And I win like the USO's funniest service member. Yeah. What year is this? 2010. 2010. Yeah. And then I win in 2011 and I win in 2012. And they're like, you got to stop doing this. (laughs) Like legitimately. They're like, you can't. 
Yeah, you, you can't, can't be a ringer. Compete. You're a ringer at this point. Yes, yes. And but the problem was nobody knew who I was. Yeah, I was this fucking unknown comic. And the first the first year I won, the prize was uh, you get a spot in Hollywood and you get your name on the marquee. Oh, very cool. So I got a photo of it. My name on the marquee it was the old marquee with the fucking letters. Yeah, before it was digital. Right before it was digital. Um, and then I come in and I do a spot. It was like a Tuesday night, middle of the summer ish. And I was so fucking nervous because, like, Tim Allen's on the show. Oh, you did the sh- you did it with Tim Allen, the show. You were the feature for Tim Allen, basically. I, feature is a strong word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was the motherfucker that went up before Tim <laughs> Allen. Before. Um, and it, I was so nervous, I did not do well. It was, mm. it was very, it was, it was one of those, I probably drank that night away after that. Yeah. And um, that was 2010. But I kept doing the the thing at Long Beach, uh, the benefit for the the USO, but still not passed. Yeah. Has um, Jamie seen you at this point? Jamie's seen me a couple times. He knows who I am because of that event. But I, yeah. I'm also I was also like I can't just go hang out at the factory. Nobody knows who I am. I got to yeah. explain to the bouncer that I'm a fucking comedian. I'm a comic. Let me. Yeah, in. yeah. Hey, 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 let me. In. So I never really spent any time here yeah. until. And Laugh Factor isn't a hangout club like the comedy store is. Right. Or like that, yeah. um, but it has become my home club. And yeah, now that I'm past, I do come down here and just fucking hell. But at that point, I'm still the new guy. I'm, I'm doing a lot of TV. I'm doing a lot of acting. I am not really, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing enough comedy for anybody to take notice. Yeah. And then I do, uh, and one of my consulting jobs, I wind up working on Call of Duty Black Ops. And I make a <laughs> fuck ton of money. Yes. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm done doing this acting thing because uh, I don't have fun doing it. I don't like doing it. Um, the only reason I had fun was because I was working with a bunch of military friends. We were all doing military stuff. And and mocap, right? A lot of mocap, yeah. a lot of consulting stuff, a lot of like, uh, we need a bunch of fucking special forces soldiers running around doing this shit. Yeah. They would hire me and my friends. Uh, and then I had to do real acting work with real actors. I'm like, fuck all of this. I want nothing <laughs> to do with any of this. So I, I wound up making enough money from Call of Duty that I was like, I'm going to full-on jump into doing stand-up comedy. Uh, but at this point, I'd been in L.A. two or three years, and still nobody knows who I am. Yeah. Like, I'm working at HaHa-ish. Uh, and this, So the radio hasn't increased your sort of name recognition? or I was of, working part-time because yeah. I was still going on the road doing stand-up. I was, I was going overseas and doing comedy tours yeah. and trying to make the GIs of comedy a thing. Um, I got passed at HaHa in the weirdest way because, uh, like, Max Amini was a friend of mine. I met him working on a project where he played an Afghan terrorist and I played a U.S. soldier. <laughs> yeah. And he was a comic. I was a comic. So he was trying to get me in a ha-ha for, for months. And for literally, I, was, I lived down the street from ha-ha. Yeah. And for months, I would go and hang out with Max. And Terry was like, oh, you're Max's friend. You're Max's friend. It's great. It's nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Never put me out. Then one night, you remember the old ha-ha? Of course. There's a TV out front. I'm standing there, and Tombstone comes on, that Wyatt, that Wyatt Earp movie. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm staring mesmerized, because I'm a big Wild West guy. I love fucking Tombstone. I love uh, the fucking, okay, 
I'm not ashamed to admit this. Bon Jovi Slippery One Wet album moved me on a personal level. <laughs> uh, Wanted Dead or Alive is still a song my band plays nice. nonstop. Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. Fan, I'm in so, it. Um, are you in it? Yeah, I'm nice. okay that, yeah. Uh, so I'm standing there watching uh, Tombstone, and Terry's like, I love this movie. I was like, oh my God, I love this movie. And we connect over yes. Tombstone. That's great. And she goes, you're Max's friend, the comic from New York. <laughs> Do you want to go up? Yes, I would love to go. Love to go. That's how I got past it. Yes, Ha-ha. and you murdered probably. I did. You did great. Good enough that good they enough kept bringing yeah. me. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I'm I'm now I'm starting to try to get in, but I still don't know people. Again, I didn't grow up in the comedy scene. I don't know. I wasn't in a a, a group of guys that did open mics who are now like up, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And then um, radio. Came, you know, I, I was working in radio, and um, well, the producer at my radio station goes, "Hey, do you know who Tom Dreesen is?" I'm like, "Yeah, I, of course I know who Tom Dreesen. I'm just yeah. I'm a comic." He goes, uh, "Yeah, he's coming in to do some voice stuff. Do you want to say hi?" I'm like, absolutely, he's a legend. Yeah. So he comes over, and and uh, we start talking. And Tom's an army vet. That's right. So we start talking. Two army guys connecting, and he goes, uh. Hey, so how, how come you work at the factory? I'm like, I'm not past. And he goes, oh, all right. All right, well, here's my number if you ever need anything. Let me know. So I go, all right, cool. So I go home, to go to the gym. I come back. There's a voicemail from Tom, Tom Dreesen. He goes, hey, so you're going to get a call about showcasing at the factory? I'm like, Beautiful. what? And uh, so I wind up showcasing. All right. I love telling this story. So I, I do the showcase. This is and a Tuesday showcase. It's a Tuesday showcase with Jamie there, yeah. And it's so the way it's supposed it, the way it, it worked as far as I knew. Open micers would go in. They would they would do the first uh, three minutes, three minutes, and then they would get passed to showcase to be a regular. Yeah. I don't know any of this because yeah. I've I've never done that, and this is <laughs> comes out of the blue. So I showcase, but what I'm told is after the showcase, Jamie picks one guy and passes him. And then the other two or three goes, all right, just call back for another showcase. Yeah. So I go in, I showcase, there's four or five of us, right? Now I'm told he passes one guy. We all go upstairs after the showcase is done. He passes the first guy immediately. And the rest of us are like, ah, fuck. <sighs> so he says to the next two or three guys, he's like, come back in a couple months. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I standing here? He's yeah. already passed the other guy. And he goes, Tom, buddy. Why don't why don't you come over more? I'm like, because because I'm not past. He goes, oh, oh no, no, you're past. Tell Cecily's gonna email you a veil. I'm like, oh man, but you just passed. I'm past. Like I was like, oh, that's great. Holy shit! Like it was that my heart sunk to the bottom of my stomach because yeah, yeah. I saw the first guy and I was like, oh, I'm gonna come back and do this again. And then he he blessed me. Yeah. And then the the following like Thursday or Friday or whatever, Cecily sent me an email. Yeah. I was like, hey, here are the avails. Um. Was it Cecily or Ico? It's probably Cecily at that point. Yeah, probably Cecily at that point. But um, so I'm so now I'm past. Yeah. I think it's six months before I get a spot. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm past. Yes, I know. Still nobody knows who I am yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. not working. Um, and I get one spot like six months later or something. But at this point, I am on the road. I am. Yeah, for I sure. Am, uh, I'm working at the improvs. 
I, I I'm doing spots around town. I at this point I'm a little more known, but I still don't have a scene. I don't have a home club. Yeah. Um, and then I think there was a changing of the guard with the bookers. That happens. That happens here sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. Couple times. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and I started getting more spots. Uh, not a shit ton, you know, like two a month, which is better than one every yeah. six months. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I had more confidence, and I had been on the road so much, and like the every time I came in, I just I had to murder, I had to crush, you had to crush yeah. And um, I told myself, I guess if I want to do this, I got to fucking destroy every time. Yeah. Um. So that and yeah, so the, the Laugh Factory has been my home club, and uh, I'm in Long Beach like all the time. Yeah, which is great because I it it's like. It's like being on the road. It's like doing a road gig that sure. I get to sleep in my own bed. Absolutely. And I, it's, uh, the audiences are different. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, like, I legitimately feel like Long Beach, Oxnard, Ontario, Brea, they're all road gigs. You yeah. Know? It's an hour and a half yeah. to all of them. Yeah. Uh, and then it's 45 minutes home without traffic and I get to sleep. But it's, it's like being on the road. It's great. And then I, yeah do these these spots in hollywood uh every once in a while yeah which is great because i live fucking nine minutes away or nine miles away that's awesome so what what is it uh um i know we're getting late you've, you've been awesome so what we should we should probably wrap this up what, what is nothing it to do what is uh <laughs> what does it look like in terms of uh like five years from now or or what what is the kind of goal for you with comedy or just with whatever it is you're doing five years from now um, cause you, so acting isn't something that is really filling up your dick, huh? It's nothing that you go, I like some like Joe Rogan's like acting stupid. He doesn't want to be an actor. He's not interested in being an actor. He has opportunity, but he doesn't want to do it. This is how I've explained it to my agent. <clears throat> um, if acting, the act of acting and for what, for people who, and not in Hollywood, but they don't understand is acting is not the days you're on set reading lines in front of a camera. Yeah. The work is all the shit that goes on behind it. Yeah. It's the auditions. It's the fucking headshots. It's it buying clothes acting. for an audition. Right. It's getting a haircut every fucking three days <laughs> just in case you got to go to a callback. For... It's all that shit that yeah. I can't stand. Yeah. I hate all of that stuff. Yeah. And to do all of that stuff, to be told no 101 times out of every hundred yeah because i've been told no twice (laughs) in the same audition (laughs) to do to go through all that shit that i don't want to do for a thing that i only kind Kind of of like doing yeah when i my first two years in hollywood i was doing a lot of acting work because i was hanging out with military guys who were all actors and we had fun and we made a shit ton of money and it was it was fun when it's this other stuff that's not fun i don't want to do it yeah and uh (laughs) <laughs> I used to tell this this joke on stage. <laughs> I told my agent one time, I was like, hey, if acting is like a mediocre orgasm that I don't want to have, <laughs> but to have that orgasm, I got to slam my dick in a drawer repeatedly. <laughs> I don't want to have that mediocre orgasm. He was yeah. like, don't ever say that in an interview. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me put it this way. If acting is a half-melted scoop of ice cream that I kind of don't want to have. Yeah. But to have that, 
I got to slam my dick in a drawer <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> Why would I do that? He's like, still don't say it. Yeah, don't still, don't yeah. say that. Acting is fine. It is fun on the day. Yeah. Like I was just on SEAL Team uh, a couple weeks ago. I was on Blackish earlier this year. I was on NCIS Los Angeles earlier in the year. And those were great on the day. They paid yeah. me a lot of money. It was fun. I got co-star credits. That's great. But it's all the other shit that I I just can't put my heart into it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I love stand-up. It is, even on the worst nights, it's great. Yeah. Uh, there are nights I'll come home like, what am I doing with my life? But we all have those sets. I just don't have it in me. Now, if somebody said, hey... Do you want to uh, want a guest star on The Flash? Yes, Greg Berlanti. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want a or, Hallmark Holiday movie? Right. For sure. Yes. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life, but I'll take two. Exactly. Yeah. But I can't chase it anymore. Yeah, it's, I get I that. I can't chase... It's like this girl, we'll call her Kara, because that's her name. <laughs> um, I had to chase after this girl for years, and she just kept breaking my heart. Yeah. And at some point, I was like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not yeah. gonna chase after you." Yeah. And you know, when I was still single, she'd eventually call me up once in a while. I'm like, "Hey, do you want a blowjob?" Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I not gonna that. chase it anymore. Yeah. I, and, uh, and her name's really not Kara. It's Kara. <laughs> it's Kara. It's definitely Kara. <laughs> <laughs> There's no chance she's um, listening to this. She probably will. Um, yeah, I guess five years from here's the thing. I am happy. I am. For the first time in a really long time, happy with where I am. Uh, I love my wife, which is a weird thing for a comedian to say. Um, I love it. I like my house. It's nice. I love my cats. Um, I play in a rock band. I fucking get paid to play in a rock band. I really? Paid Still? To, yeah. Uh, once a month, we play up in Oxnard. That's great. Uh, I get paid to tell jokes. Yeah. I don't, you still do radio? I still do radio. I work from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's, come on. Yeah. It's the best waitering job ever. <laughs> I'm, ho- I, I'm home by 2.30, 3 o'clock if I have to stop at Ralph's. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't need fame. Fame's not a thing. I, I just, I, it's, I don't care. Yeah. Um, it, it's still weird to me when people come up to me and they know me. Just like I had a, I came, I walked into the factory one night to get a check and this girl comes up to me and I wasn't on the show. And this girl was like, I love you. You're so funny. I was like, I wasn't. Was PK on? Like, it's like, <laughs> there's another fucking Asian comic. And she's like, no. And she's, she's like, I watched your clip. And she tells me the clip. I'm like, oh, wow. holy shit. That's great. Um, and that's cool yeah. every once in a while. But it's not a thing I crave. Yeah. It is, I am perfectly happy sitting at home watching The Flash with my wife. Or yeah. today was seven hours of Stargate SG-1 with leftover turkey hanging out with my kittens. Yeah. yeah. Like, that. that is, I am happy. Yeah. If... Yeah, if somebody offered me a TV show or offered me, like I'm still producing stuff. I'm I'm where I'm producing two TV shows. I'm writing. Well, um, so I've heard no so much that I can be. I'm the only time I can hear yes for sure is from me. Yeah, and I do the stuff that makes me happy, and I love stand up, and I love uh, come here uh, to the factory. Uh, uh, I I finally have a community of comedy comics. That I can say are my friends. I didn't yeah. come up in the scene with them, but I have comics who are my friends. I'll tell you what. I still... I, I don't know if I've told Maz this, but the first time I was... 
hanging out in the lobby over here. And Moz turned around and said, hey, Tom. I was like, holy shit, Moz Jabroni knows my name. Yeah. I still get that. Yeah. And I'm, I still... I, I still get excited about that. Yeah. That I'm, you know, in this community that I'm considered, like, sure. What the first time Jamie put me on stage at a Thanksgiving serving, I was like, why am I on stage with like fucking Tim Allen was just on, Paul Tiffany Rodriguez was just, just on. on yeah. Paul, I'm like, why am I? <laughs> what am I doing up here? Um, and I still get excited about it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if in five years I'm still doing what I'm doing now, cool. If if I got a TV show, great. Yeah. But it's, I've, I've had to learn how to be happy because I was so miserable for so long. Yeah. And I still have survivor's guilt and I still have depression. I still have post-combat trauma and I, I still have all these things that I deal with after being a soldier. Um, yeah. And comedy is, comedy is my therapy. It is, I, for sure. I go to the VA once in a while, I get my medications and I get my painkillers, but comedy is my therapy. And if, if I'm still doing this in five years, cool. cool. That's awesome, man. So do you have anything that you want to plug before I say goodnight? Um, I have a podcast called the Sex Jokes and Rock and Roll Show, mm-hmm. uh, which I got to get you on. But it's, uh, it's basically a show about all the stuff that I love. Sex, to, jokes, and rock and roll. To include the following, but not <laughs> limited to. It would be too long to say sex, jokes, rock and roll, yeah. hockey, pizza. So you're married sticks. and you still like sex. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird, right? I told you I like my <laughs> wife. Um, but it's a, it's just a show about all the stuff like I yeah. love and like my friends love. It's great to hear people be excited about a thing that I don't know about or I know just a little bit about. Yeah. Like One of my favorite episodes, my buddy Augustino Zoya. You know Augustino? Mm-hmm. Uh, he came on and talked at length about Back to the Future for 45 minutes. And it was the <laughs> fucking best thing I had ever listened to. And just to hear that kind of enthusiasm about any subject is yeah. fun. Um, uh, so, yeah, Sex Jokes and Rock and Roll uh, on iTunes. You can go to sexjokesandrockandroll.com. Uh, I have a band called the Dive Bar Rockstars. We Dive Bar play Rockstars. once a month. Um, uh, I'm... I have a group called the GIs of Comedy. We're all combat yeah. vets. And that's and something you're producing? Is that like a tour that you produce? Or? I'm sending a couple guys to Europe in December to go on tour for the holidays. And then I'm sending another group to Japan in February. That's great. Uh, I might be in Florida in March. Uh, every year I donate money to the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, which is a charity that raises college scholarship money for the children of Special Operations personnel wow. who were killed in combat. So my roommate was killed December 19th, 2003. He left two kids without a father. So they're college age now. So we, yeah. we donate money to this foundation. They give college scholarships to kids whose parents were killed, uh, special operations parents who were killed in the line of duty. Um, so I, have got to go down there and give them a check. Um, I don't have to go down there, but I would prefer yeah. to do it in person. Uh, but Tom Tran.com, T H O M T R A N.com for all my tour dates and stuff like that. Uh, awesome. Well, oh, yeah. I did just buy Tom Tran, like the regular Tom Tran.com. <laughs> That's good. Fuck. I had to make Finally. a lot of money to buy that. Some <laughs> other fucking cunt like bought it years ago. It was like, I'll sell it to you for X amount. It was like, you asshole. Fuck. You know what how many TV doing? shows and residuals I got to get? <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Three network shows before I could fucking buy that website. That's hilarious. It's not even how I spell my name anymore. <laughs> anyway, you are a great comic and Thanks, a great man. guy. So I'm so glad it. you're Thank able you to so do this. For Thanks for coming to the After Laugh. And, uh, Oh, and shit, we'll my wife texted me like nine times already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.
It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. After laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair.